20 years ago, I was injured on the job, which left me with a severe permanent disability. It forced me to discover my true passion and purpose. It wasn't until I started my direct sales business and later became one of the company's gratitude ambassadors that I realized I am a giver, a humanitarian, a cheerleader, and have a deep desire to inspire others. I had no idea it was possible to have a bigger impact until I launched my podcast to inspire others to live their passion, reclaim their purpose, and be open to so many possibilities. I am your host, Candace Snyder, and this is the Passion, Purpose, and Possibilities Podcast. Hey, we are back with another episode of Passion, Purpose, and Possibilities. And today, I'd love to introduce you to my guest, who is all about inhabiting joy, as her business is called, Inhabit Joy. Please meet Michelle Ann Collins. Michelle partners with individuals who have suffered grief, injury, and other types of loss as they recover, reclaim their wholeness, and build resilience for life's inevitable changes. After a series of losses, including the death of her mother, her husband's suicide, and estrangements from primary family members, Michelle combined the tools she had collected as a yoga therapist and wellness coach, as well as studies in positive psychology, neuroscience, meditation and mindfulness, and spirituality to turn post-traumatic stress disorder into post-traumatic growth and resilience. With the addition of certifications in grief education and grief yoga, and several best-selling books in which she shares her story, Michelle helps others transform from barely surviving to joyful thriving. Michelle teaches and coaches in private, corporate, and small group settings, and enjoys sharing her skills and experience through speaking and facilitating workshops and retreats. Deeply connected with the healing powers of nature, Michelle spends her leisure time hiking among the trees or paddling on the rivers near her home in Portland, Oregon. Welcome, Michelle. I'm so <laughs> happy you. to have you here. And there's so many things to talk about. I am so grateful to be here. Your podcast name is one of my top favorites. Oh, thank you so much. I love so that. You have been through a lot of life stuff. <laughs> there's a lot here. There's a lot, um, yeah. And I really feel, and you know, we've we had a chance to speak prior to this interview, um, resilience. I mean, you are like the epitome of resilience and how you're able to share that with other people and help other people is really like an amazing thing to be able to do because there are so many people that are suffering um, from losses. Uh, and we, as we know, grief isn't just bereavement. There's a whole, you know, list of things that you could be grieving from. But what I would love is for you to, you know, share a little bit about your story, because this way our listeners, you know, can really get to know who you are and, and what you do and how you help people. Okay. Thank you, Candice. And um, I believe everyone can be resilient if they get the proper support, internal and external support. So I, 
I like to think that anyone could travel the, the path that I have traveled to, to be resilient. Um, so my story that landed me here on your podcast really started the, I mean, I have a long life story, but really started when I first began to notice around my, my mom had leukemia and she was ill for three and a half years. She fought it before she died. Um, and when she first got diagnosed, I went into a type of grief and stayed there basically the entire time uh, during her treatment. And of course, then when she died, went into a different type of grief. And even during that time, when I was profoundly grieving, I noticed that there were certain things about my grieving that were made worse by the people that were supposed to support me. And I didn't understand it enough to really be able to ask for help in the way that I needed to. And then I started recovering from losing my mom. And then I went through a divorce and then I remarried. And then my second husband died by suicide less than two years after we got married. So I'm back into this really deep, dark place of grief. And I handled it really poorly. And, and I say that, of course, I tell all my clients and everyone I talk to that there's no bad way to grieve, that you're all, you know, that any way you grieve is okay. But if you come into self-destructive behaviors, as so many of us do, I, I was using drugs and alcohol and just being really irresponsible. Um, you don't heal when you're, when you're avoiding the, the pain. And it, sometimes you need to for a little while, uh, but ultimately you, you got to jump, you got to get in the trenches and climb your way out uh, or, or you're not going to heal. So that's what I learned on my journey. And I'm a, I'm a learner. I'm a studier. That's what I love to do. When something doesn't make sense to me, I get a book or I go to a lecture, I enter a class and so after my husband died, I was already a yoga therapist and a wellness coach. Um, I developed PTSD and ended up in trauma therapy, which saved my life. And a, a lot of people say, oh, yoga saved my life. Meditation saved my life. And sometimes I believe it's an overstatement, you know, that it maybe helped your life improve. But this literally did because I was on the road to ending my life myself. And that happens, uh, unfortunately, very frequently um, when you have a primary relative who dies by suicide, you your risk of suicide increases. Uh, and so my trauma therapist really did save my life, going through trauma therapy, getting clean and sober, uh, stopping the irresponsible behaviors and self-destructive behaviors and following that with study. Um, so I studied somatic therapy with my trauma therapist. I studied Ayurveda, which is the medical science associated with yoga. I studied grief, grief education, grief yoga. Um, and I'm still studying. I'm in a mindfulness meditation teacher training for two years right now, which uh, is just wonderful and grounding and centering and expanding my knowledge and my ability to help my clients. So uh, that is how I ended up here because I kept going and partway through this recovery period between the death of my husband and now I I'm a writer. I've been a writer all my life. I started writing my story 
and I wrote story after story after story and published some. And then uh, this book, I, I had two books come out in January of 2023. And that was so healing. But it also made me realize I can do this. I can help others. And as soon as you realize that you can get into that trench with someone, that, that grief place, I shouldn't say you, as soon as I realized that I could be there with people in that very difficult place, I just felt like I had to do it. There, there was no hesitancy. I, and I do have a story in one of my books about, about that, uh, helping someone whose husband died by suicide just nine months after mine did. Wow. That, I mean, that seems so soon too. And you're able to help somebody. I didn't think I could. When I got that call, I did not want to respond. I felt like, no, I am, I am so deep in this. And a mutual friend of ours told me, Michelle, you are the only one that can help her right now. You need to call her back. And I did. Mm-hmm. I took the deepest breath of my life, right? And I picked up the phone and all I did was listen to her. I just listened to her cry and I exemplified, right? Here I am nine months out. She was two days out. She saw me alive. She saw me continuing. And that gave her the inspiration to continue as well. So I could help, even though I didn't think I could. I'm getting the chills, like listening to your story and all the things that you, you just shared, but what was the, what was the moment or I don't know, I don't know, breaking point is the right term to use, but what was the thing that happened that you said, you know what, I need to stop my destructive behavior and I need to get trauma therapy. Like, what was that instant that, or maybe it wasn't an instant, maybe it took days, weeks, I don't know, but how did that happen for you? Great question. Thank you. And a story that I do love to tell because I feel eternally grateful. I, there was, it was a moment. It was, it was an actual uh, point in time where I had a friend come visit me and it happened to be the friend of mine that introduced me to my husband, Glenn. So he felt a little bit uh, extra about, you know, extra, I I don't want to say responsible, but involved uh, in our relationship, right? because he introduced us. And so, and he was also very present after Glenn died. One of those people that could get in the trench with me. And so he came to visit, it was November. So uh, April to November at that, Glenn died in April. So in, he came to visit and I was very, very sick. Uh, I had lost way more weight than I had to lose. And I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping well, I was imbibing in substances to try to numb my pain and being very self-destructive. And he, he looked at me and he said, do you really think that you're stronger than Glenn? Do you really think you can get through this alive? And it was a shocking moment for me. I mean, I remember exactly where we were sitting on the couch in my uh, family room. And he said, if you don't cut down on those substances, and go see this trauma therapist, because I talked about how my therapist told me I have PTSD, now I have to go find a trauma therapist, you know, I'm like, forget it, I don't want to talk to anybody. And he threatened me, he said, I am going to put you in rehab, 
because you are killing yourself. And I was shocked by this as most people who have an intervention sort of experience are, right? I'm not a drug addict. I don't have a problem, right? Right, um, right. I was in denial, but then I knew his threat was real. This was not an idle threat. He gave me two weeks to get myself together. He contacted me either by phone or text every day during those two weeks for a report of what I was doing to myself. And did you call the trauma therapist? And that was my turning point was this threat from this friend. Uh, and I, I got into trauma therapy probably within a month or two. It took me a little bit to find someone. Um, or maybe I had already found her and couldn't get an appointment. I don't actually remember the specific in that one, but, and as soon as I started seeing her, I told her the whole story. And she said, you need to stop doing drugs. And I was shocked by this. Like, what do you mean? That's the only way I can get out of bed. You know, I, I can't feel if I feel all this, it'll kill me. And she said, if you want to heal, you need to stop. And I'm like, oh, what about maybe just on weekends and Wednesdays? You know, <laughs> no, you have to. And so I went through, it was a couple months um, of negotiating, but I did realize that the less I did, the more I felt, the worse I felt, but also the better I felt. Mm. You have to be healthy to go on a journey like this. Yeah, because The healthier you are, the more resilient you are. Yeah, otherwise you're just numb and not dealing with any of the emotions mm -hmm. and as, mm -hmm. as you're telling me this I'm thinking of your friend who's like you know I'm giving you two weeks or you know I'm, <laughs> you're going to rehab and I can't even imagine like I'm, I'm sure even now like you're thinking about it in that moment of mm -hmm. him saying this I can't even imagine like being like put in that position but you you obviously believed that he would follow through if you didn't follow through. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It was, it wasn't a threat. It was a promise. There was no question. This was a man of his word. He was, he's a very serious person. You know, if he says he's going to do something, it gets done. So yeah, I was, I was sure. And, and I was also so baffled because the idea that I needed something like that was so foreign to me. Um, but I did, I needed, I needed to change my habits or I was going to follow my husband into death. So for anybody who's had a, um, a drug problem, drug issue, and we all know that a lot of times it's because, you know, you're trying to numb the pain and not have to deal with the feelings and the emotions. But for you, when you were seeing the trauma therapist, is this somebody who would help you? Did you have to kind of go cold turkey? Did you have to go through a detox? I mean, how does that work? Well, for me, and I think it works differently for, for everyone, right? But she did somatic therapy, which is embodying yourself. So every time I would start to escalate emotionally, she would help me get re-embodied. And as a yogi, I understood the value of that of being in the present moment. And it was mindfulness exercises, uh, feeling in your body. You know, I, I would start to wind up about a, a story or a flashback or whatever had happened. And she would say, okay, take a deep breath. 
just interrupt my story, which, which was good. And then look out the window at the tree or feel your feet on the floor. And she would bring me back into the present moment, into safety. And when you have PTSD, that's the biggest thing is you'd never feel safe. So she taught me how to regulate and go back into safety. So I could go out into the story a little bit. And each time I did, I would heal a little bit and then back into safety. And I actually created a talk that I give called Feel It to Heal It. And that's exactly what I talk about. You, you need to feel it. You need to go through all of the feelings and emotions in order to heal, but you don't need to do it all at once. And I couldn't even do it at all, right? At the beginning, that's why I was doing so many numbing exercises. Yeah. I can't even imagine that somebody would be able to heal it all at once because it's it's built up, right? It's mm-hmm. like you're stored yeah. in your body and you're carrying it around. So it's not like you're just cough it out or sneeze it out and and exactly you're done yeah. with it it's a, a process so it is and and the most important thing is to maintain safety and some people that go through trauma therapy have never felt safe they don't understand what safety is and the interesting thing that happened also in trauma therapy that made me realize this was the hardest thing i was probably ever going to do in my life was what I real what I learned was the trauma in your body gets piled up kind of in the same place. I had childhood trauma that I had completely suppressed. Um, I I had some sexual abuse as a child that I had never spoken of. I had never shared with anyone, and it was way deep down in there. And I was living with it, living above it, around it, my whole life, and that came out in trauma therapy and I could speak about it. And I'm not saying it's a hundred percent healed, but look at me being able to say to you, this happened to me as a child and I've worked with it, maybe worked through it, you know? Um, And that is a huge gift as hard as it was when it started coming out. So we worked way past my trauma with losing Glenn into all and and I've become such a bigger, better, stronger person because there's not that trauma, that old trauma in there weakening my resolve. Your story is really inspiring. And <clears throat> I know that there are a lot of people that are walking around carrying, whether it's, you know, sexual abuse as a child or physical, emotional all the all these different kinds of abuses that people suppress and carry around, but don't realize that they are carrying it around until, mm-hmm. unfortunately, sometimes it takes something even. Not that I'm not minimizing, so I, I don't want to say bigger, but maybe cumulative, like cumulative trauma before it actually comes out. Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, and when you're a child and your safety is compromised, you don't have, you know, no one's going to tell a six year old, okay, feel your feet on the floor. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a childhood trauma, trauma therapist, so I can't say, but I, your safety comes from outside always when you're a child. So there wasn't a way for me to establish safety 
at that time in as far as the trauma went. So it just shifted my whole cellular being. That's a, that's a really hard. And, you, you know, we see so many things happen, you know, through the news about, you know, what's happening to children and child mm-hmm. trafficking and all these different things. And it, it really is heartbreaking that our children and us as children had been through so much mm-hmm. um, and we're not protected, you know, or they're not protected. Yeah, There's it's a very lot. scary it's a scary and and dangerous world so much more than when I was a child. And I, uh, I do, I watch my daughter is in college and she tells me this whole system that they go through when she goes out with her friends, there's always one that watches the drinks and she's had a friend get roofied before. Uh, and it's just part of their world. Yeah. They're, they're vigilant. They, they watch for it and they, they know it's an everyday possibility. And I, you know, it's a tough world they're growing up. In. It is really tough. And I I'm so happy to hear that they're looking out for one another in that way. You know, that yeah, they it's, were. and it's very matter of fact. That's the thing that interests me is, you know, I, I asked her after her first college party, you know, I, are you being safe? No. Mom, we've been, you know, yes, we, we, this, 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 they always have a designated driver, you know, all of the things you, that I, as a mother would worry about not being there. And, um, but yeah, we've got this down, you know, <laughs> and it makes it, it's heartbreaking that she needs to. Right. But right. it's also a relief to her mother that she has this awareness. Mm-hmm. So the trauma therapy i'm going to go back to that for a minute mm-hmm. so you had these this mindfulness uh practices somatic practices mm-hmm. to help bring you back to you know the here and now and the present moment so what other types of uh, modalities and treatments can someone use besides m- mindfulness Oh, besides mindfulness. Well, mm-hmm. mindfulness is my expertise canvas. So you're yes, asking I know. me to step out of the box here. Um, <laughs> I, wow. Other than mindfulness, I think getting a lot of support through finding grief support or trauma support that you might not be able to find in your current circle. I think not I think, I know in my experience with grief and and moderating grief groups and, um, you know, helping grief clients, I see so much external challenge from being disappointed in your support system, in their support system. So it exacerbates the grief by, you know, especially with, you know, spouse loss, uh, for example, your in-laws, well, they're not your in-laws anymore, but are they still your family? And I've seen so much strife in that area. And especially when it comes to suicide, a lot of times the in-laws will blame the spouse. Why didn't you see this? Why didn't you stop it? Which is, of course, 100% inappropriate, but people don't know how to behave when they've gone through a trauma like a suicide loss. So you have these people who are in their worst state right? I just went through this traumatic loss trying to support each other. And it's 
not sometimes it's functional, but usually not. So to find a grief group, to find a grief therapist or a grief coach, uh, anyone that works to help you through your grief and trauma. And uh, I talk about this in my books a lot. A neutral third party who is not also sharing their loss. A neutral third party who only has your well-being in mind. That is their only source of motivation in this relationship is so important. So that's one of the ways that I, that, that's one of the, the ways I think people can get there, get through really hard things is choosing the right people to support them and thinking outside of your maybe typical support circle. I think that that was a very important point made, you know, as somebody who has you know, I lost uh, a brother to suicide. And so the things that you're sharing now are some of the things I wish I would have known 20 years ago when it happened. Yes. Yes. You know, so I know we know a lot more today than we did 20 years ago, but that was like such an important point. Um, I'm glad that the conversation kind of went that way. Even though I know mindfulness is your expertise, and I want to talk about that more as well, because uh, there's different there's different mindfulness practices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So what is what is it? I know you when you're working with a client, it's very individualized. You know, you're you're yeah. handling each person's situation and what's best for them. What would you say is the type of uh, meditation or mindfulness that you work with the most for most people? Hmm, Good question. Um, Probably because grief can be so full of anxiety, uh, grounding practices, just getting people in touch with the earth and in touch with the the present moment, meaning like one of my favorite, I'll just give you an example of one of my favorites. When someone's really spun up and they, people, when they're telling me, I'll ask a client, how are you? And I won't get an answer. The answer is, well, so-and-so called and they did this and they want me to go out. And I'm not ready to go out. And, it, you know, or my mother-in-law called and she blames me for my husband's, it, it, you know, these are stories. These are not, how are you? So then I bring them back. How are you in this moment right now? And sometimes they can't answer. They'll go right back into a story. So then I direct them to their breath. And I always feel like the breath is a, a sort of a barometer of how we're feeling. Is your breath shallow? Is it light? Is it way up in your chest? Can you feel your breath at all down in your belly? And I'll have them put their hands on their belly and breathe. And if there's no breath down there, then we'll spend a minute or two trying that. Often that is followed with some big release of tears, which is so helpful and healing. Tears are wonderful. And, uh, you know, so often in our society, you see someone cry and then apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And and I'm always, please cry. This You are moving that grief through your body, Mm -hmm. that trauma. Cry, cry, cry. And so breath awareness, I think, uh, is probably a, an every client practice. I think we 
all need to do. I mean, those who practice breathing, you know, Mm -hmm. really have so much of a problem. But for those of us like myself, who often catch, I often catch myself not breathing or feeling like breathing. I feel like this should be one of those things like maybe they should teach in kindergarten. And so that everybody knows what it's like to really feel your breath and and the energy going through your body, because that, that's not something we're not taught when we're kids. You know, it usually doesn't right. so much later. If ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, you know, I hear more and more about uh, stories of people teaching mindfulness and meditation in the schools uh, and at camps and things. So I think more and more young people are being uh, exposed. Not enough, certainly. I mean, it should be in every home, but, but more are, I I know the Dalai Lama said uh, if every eight or nine year old was taught to meditate, the world would have peace in a single generation. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. We wish, right? I know. Doesn't that sound amazing? Yes. So, okay. You have two books, correct? Two that came out this year. And then I have three others, but those I can, I contributed one chapter to. So my stories are in there, uh, but they're, they're uh, cooperative books. (laughs) Got it. And so the two books that you have now, they're surviving suicide loss books. Yes, one is specifically spouse or partner suicide loss, uh, mindful survival guide. And although everyone that's read it says you need to write a more general book because all of these practices, most of this information and all of these practices are needed for anyone in grief. And that book is in process. Um, Thank you. But since I just had twins, you know, in in January, I mean, twin books. No, no more new, no human babies. Um, I am going to take a little time between. And then the second book, they came out as a pair because they're really to support each other. So one of the things I mentioned earlier was about how we do not get properly supported uh, when we're in grief and trauma because people don't know what to do and our relationships suffer. So the second book is called Supporting a survivor of spouse or partner suicide loss, a mindful guide for your for co-journeying through grief. So this is for people, this is what I wish all of my friends and family members would have known when I lost Glenn. And it's it's very it parallels the the survivor book. So I I it, it, ideally if someone has this tragedy in their life they would get the survivor book and their friend would read the supporting book. That would be the ideal situation. And then they would be able to talk to each other. They would gain awareness how to support each other, what support they need, how to get it, all of that. And the survive, the supporter books actually sold much better than the survivor book, which surprised me. Um, so there's a real need and a real desire out there for people to get educated. People want to help. They just don't know what to do. It's true. I can, I can definitely vouch for that. <laughs> Not that I want to, you know, but yeah. I really know what it was like. Um, and he, although it wasn't, you know, a spouse or a partner, still, I know that my, my friends and family didn't know what to say, how to respond 
Do I say something? Do I not say something? Do I show up? Do I not show up? So I'm sure that in in the book, you answer those type of questions. I do. I do. And like I said before, everyone that's read them has made very clear that they wanted it to be more general, but it's not, that it's very useful outside of spouse or partner suicide thoughts. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have a lot of things that you do. I know you have, you have a lot of certifications. <laughs> yes. So I love to learn. <laughs> and that is awesome. Um, so you do you coach, you do private, you do workshops, you do retreats. Retreats sounds fun. <laughs> Although I'm sure there's a lot of healing that has to go on in these retreats. But um, yeah, sometimes I think if you're out of your normal element, your your normal environment, that being on a retreat could be very helpful to reco- recovering from the feelings and the emotions that somebody's dealing with. Very much. And and if you're in if you're on retreat in a place that feels safe, uh, sometimes you can go deeper into what's stuck in there and get it moving. You know, your grief, your trauma, even just you know, it doesn't even have to be grief or trauma. It could just be discomfort with, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps there's something going on with your spouse or something at work that you just don't have the bandwidth to address in your busy daily life. When you go on a retreat, you can, through writing or through movement or sound, find a way to bring that up and release it. Mm-hmm. You also offer uh, e-courses. You do things in person. You do things online. So say, say somebody listening is really connecting with what you're saying, but they don't live in your area. So what type of course could you offer them that could be helpful to them? Sure. Yeah. Well, it it would depend, you know, of course, because I'm very individual, I would do an assessment and I I offer free um, connection calls just for that to make sure that I can help someone or offer resources. Uh, I have free meditations on my website that I would always send people to, or I guess they're on YouTube. Um, Anyway, you can find them on my website. And then once I get a sense of where this person is on their journey, I can offer resources for their specific needs. Um, One of the things that if someone's in grief, I always recommend grief.com. Uh, which is where I uh, volunteer, moderate the grief groups. And they have very specific grief groups that meet once a week. And then a lot of other support. There's, uh, I think it's on Facebook and, you know, it's a, it's a whole big community in grief and educated grief. And there's so much support out there. And it's run by David Kessler, who worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and, helped create the five stages of grief, which are now six stages of grief. And he lost his young son uh, and created his next book, which was Finding Meaning. That's the sixth stage of grief. Uh, Wonderful resource. He he has been one of my greatest sources of education about grief. I didn't know that. So I learned, I mean, I learned a lot today, but I never even heard that. I've, I've only 
heard about the five stages, mm-hmm. read about the five stages, think about yeah. them sometimes, but I did not know there was a six. And I didn't yeah. know it was the grief.com that is full mm-hmm. of help for people, especially yeah. if you're by yourself, you know, mm-hmm. that you have a support system. So and, how, you know, people find their resources when it's time. There mm-hmm. are people who don't start grieving for 10 years, 20 years, you know, because they're just, they're not open to it. Right. So it's never too late. But I do just want to say, since we brought up the five stages, I have to, I always, or six stages, I always have to say, um, because I'm an educator, that they are originally created by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross as the stages that dying people go through. She was working with the dying. So it was the five stages of the dying Um and then when she was working with with David Kessler, they modified it a little bit to be the five stages of grief. And the the part, the reason that I wanted to go just a little deeper into that is because I don't want people thinking, oh, first I was angry, then I was in denial, then I was bargaining, then I was in depression, then I was acceptance. It's not like that. It's not five linear stages that you go through and then you hit the finish line. These are just stages in which you may find yourself at any time. It could be weeks, months, years after your loss. You can go into one and come back out of one. So that's one of the misunderstandings about those stages that I always, anytime I have a platform, I want to clear up. And you may never go through some, all, all five of them. So I just just wanted to say that while we're on this subject. I'm so glad you did because... People need to know that they may Mm -hmm. not go through any of it. Um, And of course, I know plenty of people that have gone through one stage and then come back to it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you can get stuck there. You can just be angry. That happens a lot with suicide loss and all losses. You know, you can be angry if someone had a heart attack. Yes. You can just be mad and you can just stay mad. But it's it's a better life if you can move through. <laughs> yes, because I mean that's a lot to carry around for a long time. I remember my dad was very angry at my brother for mm-hmm. a long time, and I mm-hmm. also remember when when I first found out that he died, I went into caregiver mode. Like I was like, I need to take care of my mom. I need to care of my dad and my sister and this person and that person. And it wasn't until a year later that. I started to feel the grief because I just was in like move from here to there to the next place to make sure that everybody else was okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very common. Mm -hmm. So how can our listeners connect with you? Where can they find you? Well, I am available at inhabitjoy.com, but I'm also on Instagram, Michelle Ann Collins underscore. I had Michelle Ann Collins, but lots of passwords. So I could change it. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my Twitter and thread and all that got kind of messed up. So just go to inhabitjoy.com. That's the best way. And there's free gifts if you go to my website. And you can always sign up for a free uh, meet and greet conversation. Great. And I, I just love the name of your website and business. It's mm. so it's so hopeful for people. And I mean, that word joy, I mean, it's like one of my favorite words because yeah. people really need to be able to embrace and capture joy. Yeah. If they haven't gone through grief. A lot of people just walk around where they're 
they're just not happy, <laughs> you know? So right. I feel this gives people hope. <laughs> yeah, I do believe no matter what you've been through, and many of the people that I've studied from also believe that no matter what you've been through, you can still live a fulfilling and joyful life. Yes. Kindness looks good on everyone. And that's why the Passion, Purpose, and Possibilities podcast has partnered with The Kindness Cause, a creatively curated online shopping experience of fashion-forward gifts that donate to nonprofit organizations to help you shop with purpose and donate in style. Together, our mission is to spread kindness, give back and empower individuals to pursue their dreams through our exclusive line of inspirational merchandise that not only uplifts your spirits, but also gives back to those in need. Every purchase donates to a charitable nonprofit organization to see this exclusive line, make a purchase, and support a cause, head over to the show notes for the direct link. Well, you know, we were all about inspiration, inspiring others uh, on the podcast. And so I have to ask you the three Ps. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what is something you're passionate about that people might not know about you? Oh, that people not, might not know about me. Oh, okay. Because mm-hmm. my my answer that I had prepared was I'm passionate about grief education, mm-hmm. about helping people suffer less. I guess, what do people not know about me? Mm-hmm. I mean, your closest friends may know. Right. But oh. what is something that people wouldn't know? Well, I just keep going to the superficial now. Like I'm passionate about uh, tea and chocolate are two of the things I'm passionate about. Um, <laughs> That's not superficial. Really, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 70 plus percent dark chocolate with a little sea salt, uh, well-sourced, you know, um, farm to bar. Yeah. I, yeah. I can be a little bit of a chocolate snob. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that. Okay, thanks. (laughs) And you're also, well, you know, I said in your bio here that you're really love to be hiking and paddling in the rivers. Mm -hmm. So I would think it's two things that you're probably passionate about too. Very much so. And and just on a daily moment to moment basis, being with nature. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I have a couple of dogs and I walk them twice a day. And some days I'm like, I have to walk my dogs. But really getting out in nature and breathing the different um, microbiome is, you know, the different biomes. We won't get into that. Maybe I'll have to come back and talk about that. That's kind of science geeky stuff, but it's good. Um, Because trees are our lungs, right? The trees breathe out what we breathe in and they breathe in what we breathe out. And I think being close to nature is one of the best ways to connect to your healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very passionate about that. I, I spend a, as much time as I can, even in Oregon, you know, you just, just have to have a good raincoat. You know, we, we have, we have lots of, we have Columbia sports. We're here and Pendleton. So, you know, we, we gear up and we go out. And I was going to ask you that too, because I was 
going to ask if the weather ever deterred you, but it sounds like it doesn't. No. And to be perfectly honest, the weather deters me more when it's too hot. Uh, heat, you know, you're not going to die of exposure in Oregon. Well, in the part I live in Willamette Valley, you know, we have mountains where you could, mm -hmm. but pretty much every day you can be outside in Oregon safely without risking your health, except for our smoky days. And that's, you know, you might be a little cool and need a raincoat, but it, it's very, uh, very easy to be outside here. Whereas, you know, when I'm in Phoenix, or I used to live in Tucson, when it's 115 degrees, you, you really need to be extremely careful about going outside. So right. we don't really have too many days like that here. Oh, that's good to know. Because <laughs> as I said, I've never been to Oregon, but it's been, a, it's been something, a place that's on my list. Okay, move it up, Candace. Move it up the list. I know, I need to, I need to. Um, what is your definition of purpose? Purpose to me is connecting to your deepest desires and your deepest strength. And then being able to transmute that into a way to help others. I love that definition. And the last question is, is there a possibility, a dream or a vision you have that hasn't come to fruition yet? There is, there is. My vision is of a ring of cabin and cabins in the woods somewhere, maybe overlooking the water uh, where people can come and decompress and get in touch with their needs and leave with a plan to fulfill their needs. I would love to be able to provide a space like that. So call it a retreat center, you know, something like that. So that, that is definitely a dream of mine to have well, a place. It sounds amazing. It sounds like it would be amazing. I mean, who doesn't want to be in a cabin, like in the woods by a lake, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there. I want to go. Okay. Maybe. Well, if it's in Oregon, maybe we can finally get you out here. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing your story and inspiring so many people. Um, you're you're really giving people hope because I mean, we all know that we're going to grieve at some point in our lives, you know, multiple times in our lives, but not everybody is able to cope. And knowing that there's help and coping mechanisms that people can tap into is, mm -hmm. is so important. Yeah. And like I said earlier, I believe everyone can heal. I believe everyone can cope with whatever happens to them if they just reach out and get the resources they need. I mean, yeah. it does have to come from inside. Like I said, but people get stuck uh, and sometimes they stay stuck. But if you want to move, that's when, you know, getting a coach is so great when you're like, okay, I'm tired of feeling this way. Let's get moving. You know? Yes. That's, that's when I, I believe everyone has the ability to collect the resources they need to cope more than cope to, to live a joyful, fulfilling life. Well, all your links will be in our show notes. So people will be able to connect with you. Um, if they're interested in 
checking out your books. There'll be links for that as well. And just go check out her website. She's got so much information on there that is so helpful. So thank you again, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me, Candice. And thank you for the work you do. It's really important and beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, please submit a rating and review and share with a friend. This helps us reach more listeners so we can make a bigger impact. From time to time, we share our reviews live on our episode. Your review could be the next one we share. Please head on over to our website, passion, purpose, and possibilities.co to receive a free gift I am waiting for you. And if you heard something today that truly inspired you, I would love to hear about it. You can email me at Candice Snyder at passion, purpose, and possibilities.co. Thank you again for listening.